All right. Good morning, everybody. Garrett just told me I'm late. Um, I don't know. Anyway, let's turn our Bibles to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. For those of you that were here during the morning Bible study hour, you got a lot of good things um, about loving each other and what the Bible has to say about that. So I must say I really appreciated that. I really do. And this sermon actually, I want to say, attaches onto that. Now, we didn't plan this beforehand. It's just interesting how these things work out. Um, I told Pietro, you know, I'm so afraid Garrett is going to preach exactly what I wanted to preach. <laughs> she said, well, maybe the Lord wants us to hear that. So, okay. Maybe he does, but it's not the exact same thing. So no stress about that. But First Peter chapter 1. I think before we start off, let's just bow, bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together again today. Lord, we thank you that we can open your word, that we can know that it is your word, that we have no doubts about that, Lord, and that you are always faithful in teaching us, and um, I want to say sticking your word in our hearts, Lord, cutting exactly where it needs to be cut, and so we ask you to do that today. Will you please work in our hearts? Father, will you please um, let all the distractions that we have of this life just go away while we focus on you and on your word. And Lord, may we at the end of the day just keep our eyes fixed on you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for being with us today. Amen. All right, so First Peter chapter 1 now. We've been looking at some verses in this chapter during the last few times that I actually stood before you, and I must say that it really has been a huge blessing, at least to me, uh, to be studying these things and going through it and see what the Bible has to say about it, uh, about how we should act and so on. You know, we started a few weeks ago in verse 13, and then two weeks ago uh, we ended off in verse 22, so that's where we're going to pick it up again today uh, to see what we can learn uh, more from, from this. Now, I've said this before about this epistle, but I want you to keep in mind when reading this that the primary audience uh, for this epistle was Christians that were going through some immense persecution. You can go look it up for yourselves. I won't give the detail here, but it's, it's things you can't even imagine that these pagans did to these Christians at the time. And they did that because of their faith in Jesus. That was the reason. And Peter wrote this epistle to encourage them and also to tell them how they should react to this persecution. I mean, what do you do? (laughs) So I've asked myself many times, um, if I were to be in Peter's shoes, what would I tell these people? I mean, I think my words will start to fall short right after, well, I'm praying for you. I mean, what else? What, what do you give them? What kind of advice can you give them? Um, we are very fortunate that we are not experiencing any sort of persecution like this in South Africa yet. And when was the last time that you thanked God for that? Many, many of us give it no thought at all, simply because you know, um, we have just never seen something like that in our whole lives. Uh, Now, sure, we may have heard stories about people being persecuted right now abroad uh, for their faith in Christ, our brothers and our sisters, but 
I, I think sometimes these stories are so far away removed from us that it almost re- uh, remains just that. It's, it's just stories. We don't really take it seriously. We don't um, consider it seriously. And the same goes for people that are going through difficult times, I think. The, you know, the type of things that you maybe have never experienced yourself. We all know somebody that is going through something harder than we've ever gone through. We all do. So what do you tell them? (laughs) What do you tell them? I've never been in your shoes. What can I tell you? What do you give them to help them go through their days? Even though these dangers, like, like these believers, or the problems are surrounding them from all sides. And so I really love what Peter did in this epistle. Uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, um, in just one epistle, in, in these five chapters of First Peter, cha- uh, of First Peter <laughs> um, we have five chapters worth of things to keep in mind when persecution or problems hit us. So I believe it's extremely useful. Well, well, like all of the Bible, of course, but you get what I'm saying. And not only that, but the same things that we get in this epistle is not only useful for when you are in trouble or experiencing persecution, but it's useful just for everyday Christian life. All of it. Whether you're going through times of persecution, trouble, times of peace, the good times and the bad times, we all have something to learn from this, um, from this epistle, some practical things. Now, I've mentioned this a few times during these sermons, but Peter starts this epistle off by firstly, and I think most importantly, he's fixing the eyes of his audience to the Lord. That, that's what he's doing, on who he is, on the fact that he gave himself for us, and that he rose again from the dead, and that because of that, we have eternal life. It's not something that we still need to receive. If you are saved, you already have eternal life. Now sure, I'm not going to get weird about this. Yes, this body is going to die. If the Lord doesn't come and fetch me before I die, well then this is going to die. But our souls have been washed clean. And because of that, we are going to our our eternal inheritance that Peter talks about. So we have received eternal life as opposed to eternal death, which is the second death, which we actually deserve. And so Peter turns the, their attention towards the Lord and in what he has accomplished and promised us. And I want to say to, to those of you today, and I, I know you are here today, going through horrible things, tough times, the problems just do not seem to stop and they just keep on coming, keep on coming. coming. Take this advice from this epistle. Turn your eyes to the Lord. It's not just a beautiful song, you know, turn your eyes toward Jesus. It's a beautiful song, but it's great advice. It's great advice. If you just keep on looking on these problems around you and you start to freak out about that, you're going to get nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. It is when you fix your eyes on the Lord that you, that you can look towards your hope because that's the lively hope that we have as saved individuals. We have a lively hope in Christ and that we will be with him forever, that he is preparing a place for us. He's coming to fetch us. That's going to be a great day. 
And like we sang earlier, it, it will be worth it all when we see him. Folks, if you would grasp this, that you should look forward instead of just looking around you, then it would, I think, it would make it infinitely easier to go through these trials and tribulations and, and persecution if, if that happens to you, but to do it with joy, joy in the Lord. Now, of course, it's not like the problems disappear. It's not like you don't feel it. It's not like you don't, uh, or if, like you're not sad if somebody that you love suffers or dies. It's, it's not like that. But you still have the joy of the Lord. You still have that lively hope in Christ if you fix your eyes on him. Because your, your hope is, and joy is not set in this world and hoping that, well, hopefully something, it'll get better. It's not that. Our hope is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, that's so much better than, than hoping in this world and trusting this world that they will fix it all. They won't. <laughs> They're going to destroy this place. So, all right. We stopped in verse 22 last time. So let's read verse 22 along with verse 23. Uh, just so that we can get the context again. Verse 22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, like I said, we looked at verse 22 last time, and we we also had a brief look at it this morning. So I, I won't spend too much time on that today. But I want, to see, uh, want you to see that the main theme of this passage that we're looking at is love. Love for one another. All right? You can see that. That's the main thing. Everything else um, in, these pas- uh, in this passage, in these two verses, is just surrounding that concept of loving one another. And that's, this love that we should have for one another is actually a very basic principle, a basic Christian principle that we find throughout all of the New Testament. We looked at a few verses this morning, and Jesus said in, verse, in John chapter 13 and verse 35 that the world will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. That's the testimony. So now let me ask you this. Since this is such a basic Christian principle, what have you done this week to show that you love somebody else? Have you made any sort of effort to do that? Um, and based on the context here, I actually want to uh, f- formulate this question like this. Have you made any effort at all to specifically love a brother or sister in Christ? To show it to them. You know, saying that you love someone and actually doing it <laughs> are two different things. Two different things. Those words that you say, well, I love this brother or I love this sister, it only goes so far. It is the actions that back up the words that actually prove that the words are true. And it's much like the concept that we find in James chapter 2, you know, where James says that your works will prove your faith. He says that if you say that you have faith, but you have no works to, to back it up, to back up this proclaimed faith of yours, then we can start to question whether, whether or not your faith is actually true. Now, the same goes with this brotherly love um, that we are commanded to have. If you say that you love your brother, but you never act on it, 
on this proclaimed love of yours, then we can start to question whether you actually love your brother or not. That's, that's the concept in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18 that you can go look up later. But we spoke about this last time, so I don't want to go on and on about this. Um, otherwise, just, I'm just going to repeat all my sermons, which I can do now. <laughs> but the love that Peter is talking about here is a selfless kind of love. It is selfless. It's not looking towards yourself. It's looking towards that other person. It's not motivated by a feeling. Because that's, that's the idea we get. Uh, you know, we grow up with this idea. And maybe, you know, people blame it on TV and movies. Maybe it is that. I'm not sure. But when, whatever it may be, we, we get this feeling that, well, we get this idea that love is a feeling. It's not just a feeling. This, this love that we should have for the brethren is not a feeling. It's not motivated by a feeling. But it is motivated by the fact that you have been saved. That's the, that's the start of it. And that's Peter's point here. He says, since your souls have been purified by the fact that you obeyed the truth of the gospel, make sure that you love each other fervently. That's, in my own words, what Peter said here. And now he goes on to explain why we should love each other this way. So let's look at verse uh, 23 again. I'm just going to take a sip here. Verse 23, he says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So why should we love each other with this fervency? Because we are born again. Simple, right? This, this love is, is an integral part of this new life that you've been given when you were born again. So Peter says here, love the brethren because you have been born again. Now, I've found that this phrase of being born again... <laughs> is something that is actually strange to many people. Um, many of the people that use it do not actually have an idea what they're talking about. Uh, they don't know what it means, biblically at least. They have their own meaning attached to that. That's at least my experience in talking to people, and I've heard <laughs> nods here, so um, I believe that's true. So some people have loaded this phrase with so much superstition that it has completely lost its biblical meaning. And I found that there are people that, I want to say, over-spiritualize it. So don't Google that word. I'm sure it's not a word. But they, they, do, they over-spiritualize this concept of being born again. Now, don't get me wrong. Biblically, the, uh, the concept of being born again is a spiritual event that occurs. All right, That is true. But in some groups, it seems as though they regard some people as born again... And, and these people are supposedly those that are strong in the faith. Or maybe they received something extra from God. Or, or they are very zealous about the things of God. And, as opposed to the Christians that are not born again. Okay? That doesn't even make sense. Uh, <laughs> you know? They think that it is some sort of spiritual level that, that you must reach in your Christian life. Okay? So I'm a Christian, but I'm not born again yet. And I, I've heard people say that to me. Which is obviously wrong. You can't be a Christian if you are not born again. <laughs> you need to start there. I've spoken to many people and, and asked them, so are you born again? They would say no. And then I've, I've learned to start probe that question a little bit more. And I, I would ask them, do you believe that Jesus died for you, that he, that he was buried and that he rose again and that he defeated death? 
They will say yes, and I would ask them, are you trusting only in Jesus Christ to be saved? They will say yes, and I would say, so are you saved? Yes. Well then, that means that you are born again. <laughs> that is what it means. It is the same thing. You know, some people are saved, and they do not even know that they are born again. They know that they are different to what they used to be, that they know, that they can recognize. They, they see everything that goes along with being born again in their life, but they don't think they're born again because they have some different definition for that phrase. And that is simply because there is some confusion that's going on on what it means to be born again. And I believe part of that confusion is because, well, I want to say as the broad Christian community, we've left the Bible behind. <laughs> we've completely left that. Some think that being born again is just something that the charismatics do. You know? They are quick to point to a specific group and, and call them, well, they are the born-again Christians. Now, folks, talking about a born-again Christian is totally redundant. It's, it's like talking about a round circle. <laughs> it, it, it does not make sense. Okay? But they think that it is only those people that do all sorts of strange things in their churches that are the born-again crowd. Like I said earlier, because I think, well, they received some, something extra from God. That means they are born again. And so because they don't want anything to do with those things that these people do, they also don't want to be associated with anything being called born again. I know, because that is how I used to be. Because I didn't have an idea what it meant. I only saw that crowd, and I thought, oh, that's what it means. I don't want that. Simply because I didn't understand what it meant to be born again. So in short, what does it mean to be born again? Let's turn to John chapter 1. Keep your place here. Go to John chapter 1 for a moment. We're not going to look at all the verses about this, but we're going to look at two that are close together here. John chapter 1. I love this chapter. John chapter 1 and verse 12, talking about Jesus here, says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That means they weren't the sons before. You remember the, the, the previous lesson. Even to them that believe on his name. Look at verse 13. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So there you go. <laughs> to be born again means that you are born of God. All of us that are sitting here today, yeah, there are no exceptions here. We were all born of a biological mother. Am I right? All right. Yes, that is true. Okay, <laughs> just trust me on that one. But we were all born from a biological mother. But then only those that actually receive Jesus are those that are born of God. You see that from verse 13? It's only those that received him. In jo let's go to John chapter 3. I think this is where we normally turn to first start to look at what it means to be born again because we have Nicodemus approaching Jesus here, asking him, uh, you know, after Jesus said you must be born again, he says, well, what does that mean? Well, look at verse 5. He says there, uh, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. 
And then he says this, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's the first birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So, okay, we saw two things here from John chapter 1 and John chapter 3. And that is that those, firstly, those that receive Jesus are born of God, right? And in John chapter 3, we see that those, um, that those that are born again are born of the Spirit. That is God, okay? So we can connect these. So that means that the moment that you receive Jesus Christ to be saved, you are born again. Simple as that. You can only be born again once. Please, folks, you can only be born again once. I've spoken to many people telling me, well, I get born again all the time. Uh, No, we don't. You only get born again once. You only get born once physically and once spiritually. Because you can only be saved once. You can't lose your salvation, so you can't get saved all over again and get born again again. Yeah, that's, that's how it goes. That doesn't work that way. You know, when we say that someone is born again, then that means that they are saved. That is what that means. And then that means that they are Christians. All of these go together. And to turn it around, when we say that somebody is saved, well, then we know that they are born again, right? And we know that they are Christians and so on. Because being saved and being born again actually go hand in hand. You can't separate the one from from the other. It's not two separate events. It's one single event that happens. Now, when you get born the first time, that's a natural birth then you received a new life. Am I right? We're looking forward to our new baby being born. That's going to be a new life in our house. And we're going to get some babysitters from all of you. We're going to source them after the service. Okay? But <laughs> when you get born the second time, that's the spiritual birth that we saw here in John chapter 3, then you also receive a new life with new desires and a new capacity to love others because of the love that God has shown to you. Has that happened to you? Are you born again? Have you ever had that drastic change in your life where you went from darkness to light, from death to life? Because that's the new birth. Folks, I'm asking you, are you born again? Are you born again? And God did that, not with corruptible seed. Peter says here, you can turn back to First Peter chapter 1. He did it not with corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. So what is that? Well, Peter is pointing towards the difference between the first birth and the second birth. With the first birth, you get born of corruptible seed. You were born of your sinful parents, and they were born from their sinful parents, and on and on and on it goes until we get back to Adam. Okay, that's the corruptible seed. In Adam, all die. (laughs) All right, that is the corruptible seed. With the second birth, you were born of God. And that's the incorruptible seed. It's a spiritual birth. It's, it's something that's permanent. It, it never fades away. And what is that seed? Let, look at verse 23 again. 1 Peter 1, 23. It says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, and now here's the seed, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That is the seed that God used, or gives us Uh, That he gives us the new birth through. Um, That's the living and abiding word of God. And it is an incorruptible seed that keeps on living forever. Forever. And it is through the word of God that we receive 
this new birth. The, the word is the truth of the gospel message through which we are saved if we believe it. You remember John, uh, or sorry, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. It says there, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God. So faith actually starts with the word of God. And that is the seed that gives us life. So if I can put this verse in my own words, okay, I'll sell the Francois translation later. But he's saying here, you have been saved by the word of God, which by the way is alive and, and, and it lasts forever. And this word is the seed that gives us a new life. That's why we can live forever. And so to make this point clear, Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 6 to 8. But we can just read it here in First Peter 1. And verse 24, he says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass, grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And that's the end of the quote, but then he says, And this is the word by which, uh, which by the gospel is preached unto you. You know, I don't know how many of you have actually looked a bit into grass. Grass is actually very amazing. I saw a documentary once about grass, and that's about how far my research went. But they, had, they spoke about a lot of different types of grass. You know, some grass can grow among rocks, and some can grow in a desert. Um, and I don't remember the exact details, but they spoke about, some, uh, about grass where the seeds of the grass can actually last for years in icy conditions until the conditions are correct for the grass to actually sprout. That's amazing. That's just amazing how the Lord made, this, made all of this. You know, one of my favorite things to see after a good spell of rain like we had this week um, is to see the beautiful green, brand new green grass in the fields when you're, when you're driving down the road. That's just beautiful. I love that. I just love that. And then, depending on where you are, you will also see some flowers in between the grass. You know, there's, there's little wild flowers, or, or sometimes the grass actually has flowers on them. You know, it's, it's almost as if nature is just bursting out with one great big smile. It's, it's just amazing. I just love that. Especially after we've only had dry, dead grass for so long. But you know what? Despite all of this excitement and this beauty, none of those new grass or, or you know, the grass leaves, I think you call it, and, or the flowers that you see in the fields will stay there forever. None of them. Some of them will be eaten by cattle. Um, others will be burnt again when we get to autumn or winter. And the rest will just die off. Some will blow away. Some will just stay there. And that's the picture that we have here in verse uh, 24. He quotes Isaiah as saying that all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. So what is that? Well, that's all of mankind right there. Okay? That's all of mankind. You have the ordinary man, okay, that's the grass, okay? There's nothing wrong with the ordinary man. You have him there, but then you also have the very best of man represented as the flowers of the grass. That's the glory of man. That's the very best among us, I, I want to say. You know, we have the ordinary, everyday guy that's somebody like me, you know, we just go on, I'm, I'm never going to be famous, I'm never, <laughs> which is fine, but 
Okay? I'm just grass. Okay? And then you have this extraordinary man. That's, you know, the best of mankind. That's the strongest among us, the most beautiful among us, uh, or the most educated, perhaps. You know, the wisest, the smartest, uh, the, the most gifted among us, if I can sum it up like that. And that's the glory of man. Also, what, whatever man has achieved... You know, man has achieved some great things in history, and that's also part of the glory of man. It is those people that end up in the history books, you know, that, uh, for one or the other great thing that they did in their lifetime. That's the glory of man. But you know what? <laughs> All of us end up at the same place. All of us. Whether you are just grass, whether you are the flower of the grass, we all end up at the same place. And that... that what's actually coming from the corruptible seed. All of that eventually fades. It's going to be gone. And just like the grass that comes and goes with every season, so ordinary men and extraordinary men come and go with, with the generations, and so it goes throughout the ages. You know, they all fade away like grass. They are here for a season and gone the next. And it kind of makes you want to re- reevaluate your life, doesn't it? Well, it, at least it did for me when I thought about this. You know, when I, when I think about it, the, this flesh of mine is also like the grass. It's, it's here for a season and gone the next. I wonder if I have my priorities straight. I really do. Am I, am I just chasing after wind in this life? Uh, or am I investing my time in things that are actually of eternal importance? It may be worthwhile to ask yourself that today. What are you spending your time on? You know, it's like that song says that we sing sometimes, I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus? I wonder. But now, Peter is quoting Isaiah here to point out that we were not born um, by that kind of corruptible seed. We are not. We are born again. We are born again of an incorruptible seed. By the truth of the gospel, by the living and abiding word of God, he says here. And so, in Christ... We have a life that will never, ever, ever fade away. And praise God, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear death. Because for us, death is actually just the doorway that we go through to the next phase of our lives. Eternity has already started. That's wonderful. What a comfort, folks. What a comfort. Death, where is your sting? That's just amazing. Now, once again, I am aware that some of you here today are not born again by this incorruptible seed yet. We just know that. So let me just quickly explain to you how you can become born again. First, you need to know that you sinned against God. You have. You really did. Evaluate your own life. You know you did. And because God is just and holy, he needs to punish your sin. And he will. He will. And we know from the Bible that that punishment is to go for an eternity to a lake of fire, folks. Um, I get chills when I just think about that. Now, I can't try to imagine what that will be like and maybe draw a picture, but I'm not going to do that today. I, I would rather not. Because, you see, Jesus came and he died for your sin on your behalf. That's the kindness of God. That's the love of God. He took your punishment on him. Um, when he died for you on that tree so many years ago. He took your punishment and he paid on your behalf so that you don't have to. 
Like I said, that's the love of God. That's Him loving you. And then, if you would only put your faith and your trust in Him alone, that He died for you, and that He rose again from the dead, triumphing over death and sin and all of those things, then you will be saved. It's as simple as that. It's just that. And when you do that, you will be born into God's family. That's the second birth that we've been looking at today. That's how it happens. If you're still unsure how to be saved and, and you would like to know a little bit later, you're more than welcome, please come and see me after the service. I'm normally here until the very last. So we have time. Okay, we have a lot of time. We don't have an evening service, so we have time. <laughs> but really, the invitation is open. If you're not sure you're saved, folks, please make that sure today. Please make that sure. But for those of us that are already saved, We've, we've finished with First Peter 1 now, and um, I actually started this last year, <laughs> but I have a lot of, uh, I have more chance to, to speak now, or to, to preach now, so that, that's why I love just, just continuing this from last year, but we actually went throughout this whole chapter, but I want to encourage you, take these verses that we looked at to heart, let's love each other, but let's do it fervently. Like Peter says here. Let's not just do it in word. Let's do it in deed. Words are useless. They really are. Why? Because we are born again. We are born again. We are not born of some corruptible seed. We are born by this incorruptible seed. Which is the wonderful truth of the gospel. And like, like I said last time. That's something we all have in common. We all do. I, I mean I can bore you the whole day with computer talk. You don't want that. <laughs> but we can talk about Christ. We can talk about Christ. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Oh Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you so much that we can know all the promises in you are yes and amen. Lord, we thank you that we can trust you with our lives our eternal lives. There's nobody more trustworthy than you, Lord. Lord, some of us are going through hard times, very hard times. I want to pray for those, Lord, that, that are going through those times now, and will you help them to fix their eyes on you, on this eternal inheritance, Lord, so that they, their joy won't get stolen by the problems. Father, will you please... Help us all to cement these, um, I want to say these ideas, I don't know, these teachings, Lord, in our hearts. So that when the bad times come, that we are ready for that. That we will know how to react to that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is sufficient, more than sufficient for everything. Lord, we thank you for being with us today. Will you please keep on teaching us? And please keep on working in us. And we thank you that you are also going with us wherever we go. We praise your name. Amen.